Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why would you position your dear to make it look like it's listening to you? <laughs> Come on to the rock show. Come on to the people show. Come on to the premiere show. Smackdown! It's the 3rd of February, in the year of our Lord 2000. Britney Spears is finally dethroned Manic Street Peaches after one with her hit Born to Make You Happy. Heard it before, but didn't even realise it was her singing it. Eh. Double Jeopardy <laughs> was top at the UK box office. And I quote, the film is about a woman wrongfully imprisoned for murder who, while eluding her parole officer, tracks down her husband who had framed her. And I swear there's like 17 films, the exact same plot, but this one was good enough to be top UK box office. And Resident Evil Code Veronica just got re-released. Nice. It would be good to see if Capcom decide to remake that and maybe make it into a completely different game that isn't crap. <laughs> Don't be optimistic, mate. <laughs> but that was all that was going on in the UK. Somewhere, somehow, in America, that other country, there was a tiny little show of no significance, called SmackDown. <laughs> what was happening on that show? Was there anything newsworthy that may change the face of wrestling as we know it? Was Crash Holly booked? <laughs> All the questions for these... <laughs> That's the same question twice, mate! <laughs> <laughs> ...can only be found here at the Cultaholic Classic SmackDown Review. You are listening to the dulcet tones of Mafu in his kitchen, along with Mr. Professional... The commentator's commentator himself, Mr. Tom Campbell, in his living room. Hello, hello. Uh, today, as a, a little change of uh, pace, change of scenery, I am talking to you via my uh, spare room that has now become the office. Uh, it's oh. basically become Cultaholic, cultaholic Site C, uh, this, this little room has over the last couple of weeks. And for the, by the looks of it, for the next three weeks more. Um, but uh, it's nice to be chatting to you <clears throat> at the end of a time of recording. Um, it's been the end of quite the week, hasn't it, mate? In some ways it is, in some ways it isn't. Obviously for wrestling, it has been possibly the most news-filled period of time since the Benoit uh, murder, followed up by the sports pharmacy scandal, maybe a few weeks later. Um, however... I have barely left my house, so it's kind of like living on the moon, quite frankly. <laughs> You're sort of watching all this happen beneath you. Exactly. Um, 
you know, I mean, how has things been with yourself uh, from Der Campbell Bunker? From, from the isolate from isolation station 24601. <laughs> um, we're doing all right. So, the, the, so basically, myself and Alex are, we're, we are essential staff for the BBC as well as mm-hmm. this. So we've been sort of tagging in and out doing stuff at the BBC. Um, and so, and it just so happens that in this particular week, I've had a big run of doing some afternoon programming for said BBC in the same week that, as you say, it's the most newsworthy week in the history of wrestling. So I think on Thursday, I think Wednesday night going into Thursday, very aware that I had a full day of doing both jobs. I think I was up at 3 a.m. to start prepping for the first so I could crack on with the day. Oh. And it's and look, I, I am not. I'm not going to sit here and go, ooh, woe, woe is me. Because one, I do two jobs that I love the bones off. And two, there are people out there quite literally saving lives. And I, there, I have no room to complain about if I have a long day. I have no room. We, are, we have the ears right now of absolute heroes. And I am not going to diminish their heroism by pretending that I'm hard done by by having two jobs at once. So nothing but love to uh, you if you are out there on the front line, whether you're working as a care worker, uh, working uh, in a hospital, working for the British, the Britain's Britain's great NHS, uh, working for hospitals around the world, just keeping some keeping people alive, keeping things moving, whether you work in a. Uh, a supermarket right now and you're and you're fighting to keep the shelves stacked and keep order amongst people in aisle eight whatever you are doing right now on the front line genuinely we thank you so much and if me and matthew making crap jokes about wrestling from the turn of the century will help in any way we are duty bound and more than honored to do that i couldn't think of a single thing to add to that Tom. so i'll leave that as it is <laughs> matthew like, just goes thanks, just your dickheads. <laughs> <laughs> thanks diddlers <laughs> thanks you diddlers <laughs> but hey so look that, let's go back to a on. better time shall we i was going to say after that lovely heartfelt message why don't you set the scene for the year 2000 uh whatever date it is <laughs> okay so uh today it is the year of our lord february the 3rd 2000 uh, it right. is an episode of SmackDown out of Detroit, Michigan, and we are uh, on in TV world just a few days removed from a the the I would I would say the first paradigm shift of the millennium. I know that is a term that gets banded around a lot since John Moxley said it, but this was a paradigm shift. What happened mm. on Monday night, Matthew? Glad you said that because. This episode starts with a dramatic last Monday. Uh, oh, nothing much. Uh, Al Snow was having a match. And then, you know, it's an Al Snow match. So obviously three million people switched over. Because uh, I'll put butts on the seats. The undefeated WCW world champion and three of his best mates showed up to sit front row on WWF Raw. They hug Al Snow. Well, it's a nice push while it lasted. Uh well, Oslo's opponent has words with them during the match, and they storm the ring so Eddie can deliver a frog splash, Perry Sutton can T-bone suplex him, Ben Wark deliver the diving headbutt for the top probe, and Dean Malenko can hit a suplex. Oh, okay. <laughs> Triple H wants to know why and how they think they are. 
well, whatever. He was probably shocked by the rest of us. They can't just show up on WF because Mick Foley invited them. Ah, there's some exposition for you. Triple H decides that they should sod off. <laughs> they return to help Foley destroy Triple H because if they don't work here, then technically they don't have to listen to Triple H. It's very sound logic there. The game is beside himself, but what is he going to do about it? And all these questions will be answered in this week's SmackDown. But is there any more information about oh, this? Oh, absolutely shock, loads, yeah. So, shock so, moment. So basically, as Matthew said there, Monday night saw the arrival of Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn and Eddie Guerrero defecting from World Championship Wrestling. We mentioned last week on the podcast that they had been given unconditional releases, which is madness. In this, in this particular point in wrestling, when there is a war on, even now, right, in 2020, as horrible as the last week was, with 30-plus wrestlers uh, being uh, shown the door by WWE, where there is no wrestling to be had anywhere, they've all still got 90-day no-compete clauses. Like, they still can't wrestle anywhere, even if there was somewhere to wrestle. They still have that in this day. But the fact that WCW were as blasé uh, to, to literally go, fine, just go. We don't care where, just go. Um, the story behind this is it was so many levels of subterfuge to try and get people to to try and to try and surprise people that the radicals were on their way in, as they would be called. So this comes from Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer, and he says uh, everyone had been asked to work a storyline publicly to say that they were leaning toward they being Malenko, Guerrero, Saturn, and Benoit were leaning toward going to Japan and that they had been lowballed by the WWF and that negotiations had fell apart. Originally, the WWF wanted to keep the negotiations completely top secret, but word of them going to Connecticut leaked out, which is why uh, this story about negotiations falling apart was created. Dean Malenko went as far as to do an online interview where he said that he was going back to New Japan. And Guerrero also who was a few weeks still away from actually performing in the ring, was telling everybody that he was going to New Japan. This is, they were so desperate to keep this top secret. Um, and lo and behold, it was a setup all along! As there they are, front and centre on WWF Raw. There's two people missing from this particular part of the story who were very much involved in Chapter 1 and shan't be involved in any other chapters. Uh, that being Shane Douglas and Conan. Two other names who were given their their unconditional releases from WCW. Uh, however, WWF doesn't seem that interested in signing them. So they're just sort of sat there. Uh, Shane Douglas and Conan will both end up going back to WCW, kind of with a, sort of their metaphorical tail through their legs, which is a bit of a shame. Um, here's, a, here's a little uh, insider bit for you, matey. So we... Saw them on Raw, introduced by Cactus Jack as his guests. Who Bye-bye. do you think was originally discussed to introduce them? Hmm. It's just one of these situations where Chris Jericho would have made sense, but Triple H went, no, not Chris, him. Chris Jericho is a good guess, but it's not the one that I've got here. Oh, okay. Uh, Big Show? Big Show's a good guess, but he's not the one I've got here. Oh, you know what? I'm not going with the entire roster. Uh... <laughs> Go on, Tom. Put us all in misery. Uh, one of the original names suggested was Vince McMahon. Oh, for f- <laughs> uh, there had been serious discussion of Vince McMahon introducing them 
to be the thorns in the side of Triple H and Stephanie. But that was stopped because there were apparently uh, much bigger plans afoot that had been mooted for Vince McMahon. And we would see those plans come to fruition over the next couple of weeks on WWF television. Um, it's a bizarre ha- thought to think that the 2002 storyline would have been two years earlier and goes, I'm going to kill my own creation. I'm going to inject <laughs> a WWF <laughs> with a lethal dose of WCW. He goes, oh my God, WCW, Hogan, Goldberg. And like Dean Malenko shows up. It's like, oh. <laughs> hey, do you know, I'll be perfectly frank, right? Had these four rocked up in 01... It would have been a far better thing than we got. I'm going to kill with a lethal dose of poison. Me and Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo and meat. <laughs> That's why we rehired him just so we could fire him again. <laughs> so, meanwhile, in Dub C Dub, these four have left the company for pastures new. They have turned up at WWF and the locker room in the WCW has gone, what? What's this? Now, backstage, WCW are trying to downplay the loss. Um, There have been locker room meetings where they've said because of their size and because they're not great talkers, they will not make it in WWF. So don't focus on this too much. That's what's being said backstage. And you know what? Their height is a bit of a, a negative aspect of them arriving and that's you know that's we we talk too much about how like wwf is the land of the giants and by no means am i saying that these guys aren't worthy because of their height but you have to consider that at this point so many people in the wwf are massive okay um triple h road dog billy gun they all range from six three to six five right and you've got like x park Who's, who is who's surely a good six foot? And he's the small one. So that's what you're up against. Then you've got guys like Chris Benoit, who's a legit five foot eight and a half. Uh, Malenko and Guerrero, about two inches either side of that with some change. Perry Satin, just under five foot ten. So they're short and you sense it immediately. And, and I hate being that guy. But it's really quite obvious that they are rank outsiders when they arrive. What isn't short, though, Math, is the money they are making, okay? It's been believed, it's been received and achieved and believed that Chris Benoit uh, is making around $400,000 on a downside guarantee. The others are around 250000 So some, some good wallop to come over and start afresh in the WWF. Absolutely, and it is funny to talk about Hey, it'd be great if you could do this conspiracy where you pretend you're not signing. Oh, is that to throw off people like Meltzer? Uh, No, it's so Shane Douglas and Conan get the hint. (laughs) And for people who don't know why there would be possible issues with them, uh, Shane Douglas had a miserable run in 95 as Dean Douglas, which Shane Douglas has said in some interviews that his net profit working at WWF was zero. So, and he rubbed people the wrong way, and it's one of the. He's, Shane Douglas is one of the most discussed and debated wrestlers of this era, or previous era, whatever decade we want to pretend we're living in, because there's the debate going: Was he good? Was he overpushed? 
Were the click responsible for him? Was he never going to begin with? And all these things that people probably keep on going now that people have access to this period on the network and everything else like that. And it's also worth discussing how full of crap Shane Douglas is with many things. But he does get a line that isn't disputed by many people, which was when Paul Heyman asked WWF what he needed to do to get Shane Douglas back in ECW, the response was allegedly, just ask. <laughs> That's it. Just ask the question. Yeah. And Conan, WWF, uh, there's two stories I like. One is that Conan rubbed people the wrong way in his brief, very, very brief run as Max Moon. Uh, one was that he got a very expensive taxi to the arena and he was late and he told who he just thought was some office worker, yeah, yeah, sort this out for me. And it was J.J. Dillon. <sighs> oh, it rubbed people the wrong way. And also, somehow, I forget the circumstances how it happened, Joshua and Thunder Liger met Vince McMahon. And Vince McMahon says, like, oh, we've never met before. And Conan, in front of everybody, went, yeah, you have, you liar. You, you had that show in Japan together. I've seen the photo. Oh, God. <laughs> so, isn't it? humiliated Vincent Mann in front of people and annoyed them. So uh, Conan's defense of this has been, uh, this was 91. I was a huge household name in Mexico. I'm sorry that everyone was unaware of this. I thought they could treat me like I was nobody or whatever, which in fairness, now you have access to the footage. You are going, yeah, there is a, a weird um, thing of like, oh, oh, you're a big name in Mexico. Oh, that's nice. And this gets treated like the nobody in America or whatever. Conan's like, what? I'm yeah, he was, he was like the Hulk South. Hogan of Mexico. Yeah, he was on TV shows. He had uh, singles and everything else like that. It comes to the WF, it's like, right, you'll be Max Moon. And it's you pay so for your own weird. taxis. It's like, excuse me? It's so uh, weird. So Shane weird. Douglas would leave WCW for a bit and go to XPW and then get re-signed a bit later on in the year. Conan, I think, would just go back. I think he was pretty much bounced back almost immediately from that. I yeah. think or was he, or did he take some time away? Because I, I don't remember him being part of the New Blood Millionaires Club thing in Dub C Dub, but um, he might have been. Uh, meanwhile, they're stepping away from that just to give you a little bit of a breakdown of the ratings. So those four uh, quote-unquote vanilla midgets uh, were. Not a bad draw for Monday Night Raw. Winning, winning the night 6.59 to Nitro's 2.79. Uh, the first hour did double Nitro's first hour. Just troused it. And how about this for a lovely bit of karma that we missed out on, right, uh, last week. Uh, the man who coined the term Vanilla Midgets. The man who, um, who made sure... The Benoit Guerrero et al. were treated with as much contempt as possible. One Kevin Nash. Uh, just the, the day before these four made their WWF debut, Kevin Nash nearly broke his ankle getting out of a car. <laughs> Nash suffered an apparent ankle injury on the 30th of January, getting out of a car and slipping on ice. He underwent surgery on Monday, had a plate put in by Dr. James Andrews in Birmingham and is out of the ring for six weeks. So as these four vanilla midgets were arriving at WWF, Kevin Nash uh, was recovering from slipping over on the ice. Kevin Nash strongly denies coining that term, by the way. Does he <laughs> but, really? Yeah, and it doesn't really matter because it's, it's going to be attached to him no matter what he says now. It's, it, it's in the lexicon. But... Yeah, it's funny that Nash is like, I didn't say that. 
Well, somebody said it. <laughs> I, I said that there were a pack of beep, beep, beep. <laughs> I never said midget. That's offensive. <laughs> so that's basically some of the big goings on. I think the, the main focus this week is this massive move for four WCW guys. And oh, absolutely. We've, we've had the massive... Them... So go on, sir. No, you know what? I should have talked over you. You carry on, Tom. <laughs> Oh, best. We um no, we've we've had their debut on Raw, and now it's it's over to SmackDown to see how they continue the momentum. Absolutely, I do enjoy listening to the car noises. Oh, I've got the windows noises. open just because it's, 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 it's very a stuffy. Day. It's a sweaty day, isn't it? I'm just so the one got the windows open while I'm sweating. Absolutely, and with no further ado, are you ready for yet another famous episode? Because there's no brakes on the SmackDown 2000 train, that's for sure. <laughs> After Winnie Woo, Biddy Boo, Winnie Woo, we are in Detroit, Michigan. And a sign is focused on for some reason that says, Hey, May Young, I'll suck him. <laughs> After Rollick and Stark, as Cactus Jack starts us off with these four men, these radicalization, whatever. Not very much decided yet, I'm what they're going to call them. And he is wearing a WWF New York hockey jersey. <laughs> Which he probably didn't pay for. <laughs> what do we think of, talking to clothes, what do we think of the Radicals attire? I think we should go through this entire bit first, then analyse it together. Good shout. There's a bunch to say. Michael Cole starts off as they come to the ring. Did Triple H make a mistake by not signing these four guys to contracts? Uh-huh. Well, they're here. So. <laughs> Mick Foley names them. Crowd goes nuts with... Benoit getting the biggest pop, obviously, because the dark side of the ring was only a few weeks ago. And Jerry Lawler calls them radicals for the first time. Mm, because uh. the dynamic dudes was already taken. <laughs> no, no, you actually know, because um, although Michael Cole was the first one to call them the radicals, JR was very implicit in dropping the the word radicals on Raw. Um we did a uh, we did night one of the three nights podcast the other week, which is a podcast series which is going to document the night a WCW wrestler fought a WWF wrestler for the ECW title. It's twenty year anniversary this year, so in the first episode we talk about the arrival of the Radicals, and we and there is the audio from that debut and Jr. It's as if he has been sponsored. It's as if Blue Chew has changed its name to Radicals. <laughs> he's saying it that much. Like he's, he is subliminally planting it in the head of fans. So I think the plan maybe from at least before the show started was to call them the Radicals. Because they were, he was, it was just a funny word to pluck out of the air and continue to use. Hey, but they're very good at the, uh, the branding. Mm, very good. It's a shame. It's a shame Blue Chew wasn't around this time, so Jim Ross could say, "Hey, not even Blue Chew could raise WCW's ratings." <laughs> He's gonna get the red. Hey, He's gonna get the red ass with us for talking about him. Oh, oh God, uh, Mick. <laughs> hey, we've all seen those photos. Jim Ross does not need Blue Chew. <laughs> Mick Foley explains they're after contracts and not blood. And he says, to understand that, you need to think about their previous employees in Atlanta, Georgia. Crowd booing. And Lola adding, failure went to their heads. <laughs> failure went to their heads was a great yeah. line. Foley explains there's more to just smiling, collecting a paycheck. And only the WF can demonstrate it. 
and Foley ends it with a, it didn't matter how good they were or how their matches were, they just weren't old enough to get to the top. <laughs> I've typed it. This is just a Smarks dream oh, it at this really point. Is. The four workhorses, not, not Flair's lads, the other workhorses of WCW have all left and Foley's done this impassioned speech because he's, his, his book still uh, on the shelves and people know he left WCW to go to ECW because uh, for a big pay cut because he wasn't in it just to smile and wave and collect the money. He cared about calling his matches, promos, and so he has a lot of connection here with these four guys who were renowned for their star ratings and making those WCW pay-per-views later on watchable. However, with the benefit of hindsight, the myth of, oh, if only Kevin Nash hadn't been there with Hogan... That was the only thing stopping Chris Benoit from being a main eventer is a bit of horse poop, quite frankly. <laughs> there were a lot of people that could have been headliners. Uh, Eddie Guerrero, uh, definitely. Perry Saturn had a sliver of a chance in 98 after clearing the flock. Raven, definitely. Uh, DDP a year earlier than he should have been. All contenders for people. To say Benoit was this guy that, damn it, he should have been in the main event is something that only news writers and newsletter people were calling about because they had all these amazing matches in Japan. Just saying, just saying. The mm. crowd booed when he won the title from Sid. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. And I thought they got them out of the chest. And this little segment did them no wonders because they were dressed like how they were dressed outside the ring. And I'd like to remind everybody that Benoit and Gro had huge mullets at this point. And it's Mick Foley also speaks for them, and so they don't get a chance. They have to stand there awkwardly, like you know Virgil and Scott Norton during a '98 Nitro of Hogan talking about something. It doesn't make them look good. It doesn't make them sound good. But luckily, we have some matches later on. But what do you think of their dress, Mr. Tom Campbell? Oh gosh, they they look like they're about to shoot a music video. They, it was it was such a such a weird look, and you you had you could tell they were outsiders in every in every aspect of it. Um, the fact that they were dressed the way they were, they they the the dress code didn't match what everybody else was wearing in the hip and trendy WWF at this point. I.e., like cool neon WWF shirts and jeans, and it's like it's all like dress shirts and slacks. Uh, it's a it's a really it's a and am I against it? I don't know. The whole idea being that we want these guys. These guys are different. And you very much made us feel like they were different. They felt outsiders in the company. Um, Cactus Jack talking on their behalf. I think it belittled them. I think that it and, and it was more a case of I don't think WWF had faith in them talking. But surely there was a there must have been a better way to do it. Could you not have like the like, ca having them as like Cactus's friend? And it kind of goes it also it goes against what Cactus Jack is all about right now. It's like Cactus Jack is all about like Triple H, you 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 harmed me, and I'm going to I'm going to break you in half and 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 rub barbed wire all over your nipples like that is where we're at with cactus jack mentally the idea of him sort of breaking away from i want to fight fight triple h in a death match every every week to oh here's some mates of mine come and give him a job 
it didn't fit what Cactus was doing, in my opinion. And this would be, unfortunately, the, the tip of the iceberg. Um, we've, we've already surpassed the peak for the Radicals. Like, already. They've already peaked. The peak was the 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 attack on the on the outlaws on raw that was where they peaked i believe and everything now is is going a bit down and i hate sounding like that guy who's sort of defeated on the company but i know where this goes and it's it's nowhere near as big as it could have been yeah we also point out this is we're saying this because we're being over analytical git but at the same time who the hell was expecting to get some of the four best talent in wcw with unconditional releases on the build-up to WrestleMania. I think they're doing what they can do with what they have, and it's just a miracle that they didn't decide to rename them The New Diesel, The New Razor Ramon, <laughs> and Perry Saturn with his hat. So let's move on as DX show up and interrupt the segment. Triple H does his tough guy thing, which is funny now because after he's had his ass handed to him to guys like Rikishi and people like that, you know it's it's a certain amount of fakeness going on. Whereas later on in Triple H's run, he's like, I'm the cerebral assassin, game, big head and big nose, and all this. And it's like, oh, you're doing this non-ironically. But here it's funny. He's like, I could come down and beat you all up myself. It's like, ha no, you can't. It's very entertaining now. And obviously the Radicals made him look foolish on Raw, so he's got DX to back him up. So he's feeling really fake, tough guy. Triple H could have these guys thrown out. But DX is all about competition. Snefty tries talking, but the crowd boo her when she describes them as average. You know what else is average? Vanilla. And anyway, after 13 minutes... <laughs> Kevin Nash! <laughs> <laughs> after 13 minutes, Triple H makes the matches for tonight. Dean Malenko steps to the ring with the fastest man alive, X-Pac. <laughs> It's his quote, not mine. Perry Sutton and Eddie Guerrero take on the New Age Outlaws. And Benoit? Well, last time we saw him, he was a big fish in a small pond. Well, maybe it was the way around. With a shiny belt. As the crowd does not pop because no one saw sold out. <laughs> so Triple H will take him on tonight with the real shiny belt. And tonight you have to win two out of the three matches to get contracts. Foley doesn't want any backstage interference, so he'll be watching with barbed wire 2x4 backstage. Triple H says, oh yeah, well, I'll have a rubber barbed wire 2x4. <laughs> Ready as well. <laughs> so, hey, we've got a hell of a SmackDown to watch, if nothing else. And it looks a bit better now. And also, Eddie realises that he's done nothing but, you know, adjust his cufflinks and nod and smile, so he uh, straddles the rope like Shawn Michaels, so the crowd goes, Eddie, Eddie, which is nice to see. That's nice to get a little pop for for Eddie in this one. It just it's, it's Triple H. The way like, do you think that Triple H put them over enough? Uh, well, he's again, as I said before, they're doing what they can because these guys literally just fell on their lap. Yeah, I know. Like, I know. Oh, like great. So we know Triple H is being big because he has DX. Um. Yeah, me and DX are about competition. He's being fake and phony. So I think uh, in his own way, yes. Fair enough. I do feel like he showed more fear and concern with fighting Rikishi than fighting Chris Benoit. That was all I could think of. Like, he, he kind of... It felt 
Like the the shiny gold belt thing was one comment, but it was. It, I don't know. I don't know. I'm playing devil's avocado here, and I kind of think he could have spun it a little bit more. If and I get it, it's land. They've landed on their lap, and they're sort of thinking on the fly with this. It's the idea that you've got this champion versus champion thing. Like you suddenly on your in your lap, you have a dream match. You have. The WWF champion versus the lineal WCW champion. I just, I think Triple H did a good job of saying, by the way, I can't say it properly, but you, you were WCW champion like two weeks ago. But the fact that the crowd didn't get it. Yeah. So Triple H said, wow, he's so good. Oh, None of you saw that? Oh, well, screw it then. Move on. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. It's it's indicative of where the audience is at the moment. You know, I, we, we see a lot of sort of behind-the-scenes comments fall flat with audiences, unless unless the, the, the joke is right on the nose. Like when Vince McMahon said, I'd rather join WCW than join <laughs> DX. Like, that was so on the nose that they popped for it. Subtlety doesn't work. You know, we're going to get the line in WCW in a couple of weeks of, hey, how about you go and get some scissors, Sid? I said, I said... get some scissors. <laughs> Is this is this on? One, two. Hello. Hello. Nineteen ninety-three, England. <laughs> no. What the hell with you all? Um, yeah. So unless it's on the nose, they do. But as you say, as a as a kid, and okay, I'm taking off my cynical, overtired thirty-six-year-old hat. I am putting on my giddy wrestling geek sixteen-year-old hat, and I'm going. Oh my god. Four WCW guys are in the WWF at the same time. What is going on? Benoit, he's amazing. I remember preaching to my brother because I was a one of those. I read Power Slam magazine. I knew everything, mate. I was preaching to my brother how amazing Chris Benoit was. And they were like, I've never heard of him. He looks weird. No, I promise you. He's the best wrestler on the planet. This is amazing. Oh, okay, whatever. Like, I, this was a big deal. Honestly, as a kid, I wasn't that into Benoit because of how he was presented by WCW. He's all right, but I wasn't about match quality as a kid. I was about, yeah, Savage, Sid Viscous, all the rest of them. And it was like, oh, and here comes this little lad. And he like, oh, I did a headbutt. All right, cool. I like that it was called Air Canada, which is the name of the, the actual uh, airplane company. Airplane yeah, like company. What am I, five years old? Um <laughs> The airplane company. Plane go meow. <laughs> and so does Benoit. So anyway, like I said, let's stop being cynical and horrible and whatever and move on. Um, it's funny though, after all these reports we do and set in the scene, it's like, oh, Ric Flair's going to jump. Oh, Randy Savage and his harem are going to jump. And then like, suddenly out of nowhere, oh, th- nearly all of the revolution jumped. <laughs> Great. And we get the hype for tonight. Tonight, Taz versus Angle versus The Rock in a triple threat. And also, Big Show will take on Rikishi Fatu with big ass hair. Forgot about that. <laughs> like, he's just showered it. He's ready for the match. Anyway, backstage, women are yelling and being like women. Isn't that right, Jerry? Buddy and women. Pat Patterson is... Uh, women women. And Pat Patterson is trying to explain to them that he knows Harvina is a man, as we all shudder and go, oh, it's that episode. But you're all strong, so one of you can beat him and take the title off him. They draw straws, so who gets to face Harvina tonight? 
and Jackie wins and gets the title shot. Everyone brawls because they're women and it's chaos and Mae Young is pregnant. Okay, let's go back to Raw. <laughs> no, let's let's yeah, let's un, let's unpack this a little bit. So, you know, oh, let's not, Tom. Let's no, we need no no because because we need to for people who there are people who watch this who never watched this era, so we need to explain like what a Harvina is. <laughs> yeah, why not? We are so here to was... report what was happening in the world, and at this particular point, a a a man was the WWF Women's Champion. Yes, he was, but not just any man. This was Harvina, who disguised himself to win it in a Snow Bunny Lumberjill match on Raw. <laughs> so, previous champion was the cat, not Miss Kitty. So, she lost, and this very convincing looking bloke, won the title, and this is building up to this. Uh, I'll reserve judgment until we get to the conclusion of this amazing storyline that we still talk about. This is why there's such a momentous SmackDown. What I will say, uh, though, is oh, it's, this is another indicator of, although there is work to do, how far women's wrestling has come in this company. Like, we Absolutely. just had... This is an amazing snapshot. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Where you think, like, we're about to have, you know, we, we have the qualifiers for the women's money in the bank match on Raw this past week. How was a title t- t- contender decided in 2000? They drew straws to determine the number one contender. Like, for the prestigious you're all gonna draw WWF straws. women's title. <laughs> you're going to draw straws to determine the number one contender. You know what's worse than that? The advert for The Rock says... <laughs> Three things The Rock couldn't sell: Val Venus, Al Snow, and The Rock says. <laughs> anyway, we've talked about this bloody awful book long it's Number one at the Go moment off. in the New York Times bestseller list, according to Meltzer. Oh, a lot of refunds there at Waterstones. Uh, May Young explains to Mark Henry somewhere in a restaurant, somewhere in Detroit, Michigan, deepest, darkest Detroit, Michigan, that she wants to be the women's champion. He wants to make her happy. So he goes to the car to get a bunch of baby stuff. Quote from Lola, her bed squeaks like her body. More of this to come, but let's not distract that from going to the ring. Here's China with the bazooka. And as Tom chokes on his tea that he's drinking during this podcast, I'd like to remind him before he died, he was right last week. This is the C2000. Yes, it has a name. I knew it had a name. So as you perform in the Heimlich, uh, pat yourself on the back there, Tom. Thanks, mate. And I'm not sure if the bazooka is there just so it looks cool, or it is to distract from the fact that every week you can see the new muscle mass that China has lost. It's so weird seeing her go from 97 China, where you go, whoa, look at that, to she just looks like a normal female wrestler now. So, anywho, Jericho is here. And basically China is playing the cat to Jericho. And Jericho puts her over. She smiles and doesn't do much. So the positives are she's not talking or wrestling. <laughs> How can they Jericho become friends, like 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 super friends like this? It's the Japanese tradition of you lose to someone and now you have the respect for them because, well, if I was beaten by the best, then I need to manage the best with a bazooka. <laughs> That's how uh, Kenneth Kabashi got started. <laughs> <laughs> who, who always... Do you know what? Don't know about you, but I love going on New Japan World, 
and watching Kenta Kabashi come out with the C2000, uh, blasting fireworks into the air to Don't Treat Me Sports Like a Woman. Bra. <laughs> John? Oh, no, no. Please, no. Because <laughs> Twitter will see it and go, what? Actually, yeah, John, don't do that one because I don't want... Um... I don't, I don't want, I don't want Kabashi being mad at me. The, the gatekeepers on Twitter going, "That never happened." You're stupid <laughs> as hell. You don't know anything about Japanese wrestling. It was Kawada who came out with the bazooka and bra. Oh, <laughs> oh, Kawada, you and your bra. Um, do you I have to, remember? I have to apologise to John before we do anything else. I have to apologise to John oh, Eiley. Okay. Uh, Photoshop John Eiley, Um Every time, like, if you ever hear us say John in either the SmackDown or the Raw podcast, it's a fun Easter egg. You can then go on to uh, my Twitter or John Eiley's Twitter at John Eiley. Uh John Eiley, a Photoshop king, he will create these weird flights of fancy that we go on. Um, John Eiley features on the this week's classic Raw review. He's a lovely man, but he messaged us the other day because every so often we'll ask him to do videos for stuff, and he got a copyright strike from Twitter. <laughs> for one of the videos we'd asked oh. it to do. So I was like, mate, I feel like we've got you in trouble. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I feel like we I feel like we were insisting that you play football with us in the garden and we've just kicked a ball through the neighbour's window. Yeah, and you're getting told off by only, your mum. Only, yeah, only John is there left. We've scarpered. <laughs> we've scarpered and we've left John to deal with the fallout of kicking a ball through the neighbour's window. <laughs> sorry, John. Sorry, John. Sorry, John. Continue to do work for us for free, though, mate. Don't oh, uh, support John on Kofi. <laughs> you also need support Gangrel because he's taking on Jericho for the IC title. And Luna Vachon is still massaging her head after Jackie twatted her with a chair in the in the straw brawl I've written here. The straw <laughs> brawls! Welcome to WCW Straw Brawl! Oh... There was a legendary call by Tony Schiavone at uh, one time when it was now holds barred at Str- uh, Spring Stampede. So they have the set where it looks like an old Wildy, Wildy West John Wayne film. So they have the uh, stagecoach and like bales of hay. And I think maybe Sting threw a bale of hay at DDP or Randy Savage. I forget what it was. And Tony Schiavone went, oh, well, that straw can really aggravate the skin. <laughs> <laughs> Tony making everything sound big, bless him. It is best. Anyway, this this match is brought to you by PhoneFree.com. Sponsors, uh, oh, not this match, No Way Out 2000. Ooh, a very underrated pay-per-view coming up soon. A couple oh, of live we'll look that. forward to that one. Ooh. Live Y2J chance can help Fozzie. Uh, what? what have I written? Oh, this is a horrible joke. What have I written this? Loud Y2J chance help Fozzie get tossed outside by Vampire Weekend. <laughs> hey! I couldn't have forced that joke more if I had a shoehorn. You certainly, mate. I loved you for it. <laughs> See, I typed this up about two weeks ago to be prepared, and then everything got pushed back because Tom's been very busy at his fourth job. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, why did I type that? Anyway, China stares at Luna, but nothing happens. So Jericho then throws Gangrel outside so harshly that the buttons fly off his top, and we get vampire titties. <laughs> oh! Coincidentally, Vampire Titties was a plot point in an upcoming brand new episode of Shasta McNasty. <laughs> that was my favourite episode, that. Gangrel continues to wrestle, remind us all that he is not a body guy. And I feel so good about myself in this uh, getting stuck inside routine I've got going. 
Gangrel tries the walls, so Luna tries to intervene. So China crotches her. And I've typed up, does that hurt women? Check with Tom. <laughs> if only I knew a woman to ask. <laughs> um, I think it hurts them spiritually. Good answer. And Gangrel taps, even though Jericho fell over while turning him. <laughs> like turning over your pizza midway through a good oven bake. What a match. This was quite the, quite the match, oh. wasn't it? This is like when you <laughs> realise that... I don't know whether it's still like... Whether Chris Jericho is still sort of trying to mesh with this haphazard WWF style or not. I don't know. Look, I love Gangrel. But he was never a star rating dude. And it's, it's everything about this period that's going to get slowly watered out and replaced with the Satins and Guerreros and everything else. Like, the crazy vampire who relies on clotheslines and clotheslines is out. But, again, that's the appeal of Gangrel. If Gangrel started coming out on five-star classics, who would care? Because <laughs> I realised, like, what is the appeal of him? Like, because if you go wrestling vampire and he came out and he had the face paint, he was all like, no, I'm going to read from the big book of vampires and stuff like that and be really into it. It would be crap. But he's just a bloke. He's just decided like, you right, lads? I'm a vampire, me, like. <laughs> it's just his lifestyle, Grr. isn't it? <laughs> I'm an alternatively a vampire. It's one of the... <laughs> John, I want Jimmy Nailers gangrel. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Next to Kabashi. Um I want... he, he, he went to he went to Gothic Weekend. It would be you just decided, oh I like this. I like this vampire lock. I think I'll do this every day. <laughs> this will be my one look. <laughs> why Gangrel, why should why should we hire you for wrestling? I'm a vampire. Oh get in. Yeah, you're hired. <laughs> this is um this is what I think. for the job. <laughs> You either go all in or you don't go in at all. And I think when Gangrel debuted, he was all in with it. But now he's not. Now he's a bit sort of laissez-faire about it. Like, he's just, a, as you say, he's just a bloke that dresses like a vampire. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's the Archie podcast who we were going to try and do something with until, you know, the world ended. But they put up the video of the, it's the first time the brood speak and Christian's into it, Edge is into it, and Gangrel is just like... <laughs> He's almost like Davy Boy Smith of Detroit. He's like, yeah, tonight, we're going to get you tonight. It's like, oh, okay, let's not try that ever again. Like, okay, at at the back, they're scribbing out Gangrel promo for next week and go, no, 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 none of that. Cross his name off the top. I hate crosses. (laughs) (laughs) After that. We get the replay of Halftime Heat, which we talked about last week, which Tom was very sad about because we had Neck Brace Austin. Because and he has a well-placed taxidermy animal <laughs> behind it. him. I'm that, so glad you of... saw that. Because I was... I'd, I'd remembered. I'd remember the Austin thing and it made me sad. But watching this back. So you've got... Right. I don't know how I was sad about this because you've got Jim Ross... <laughs> Deadpan sat next to Steve Austin, who is in a camo top, even though we can see him. 
He's got his camo cap on. <laughs> a full-size taxidermy deer staring at the back of his head. It's such a striking visual. It's like it's like this deer. If you didn't know any better, it was like this deer was making Steve Austin apologise. <laughs> or the deer is the wife of Steve Austin that stood by his side during surgery. It was such an intrusive visual. <laughs> the deer is Anthony Weiner's wife. Stood next to him as he apologises for Sexton. <laughs> like, all right, taxidermy, a very debatable subject. But if you're going to do an interview on TV about the rest of your career while wearing neck breaks, why would you position your deer to make it look like it's listening to you? <laughs> Every time they cut to Steve, it's in the shot. And at some points, it's even, it's just the snout, just the nose of <laughs> But it's always there. And they do one bit where they zoom in really, really close to Steve Austin as he talks about like his time away and stuff. And uh, he talks about like, oh, when I come back, you're going to give hell. You're going to give hell and all this stuff. And then the next shot you see is it's got the deer in again. It just takes away any any sense of like seriousness. <laughs> All it needed was Matthew Corbett to make it nod <laughs> every time I said finish a sentence. I was kind of hoping that it would end, it'd be a long pause, and the deer, and then the deer would go, "Okay, okay, we're clear." <laughs> Austin would show the next guy he's got and he'd go, oh dear. <laughs> no, don't say that because it hurts. I'm laughing and it hurts. Don't say <laughs> Oh it's dear. Funny because I, was <laughs> I love it when he does that. Uh, see, it's even funnier because you said, oh, we're so sad watching this. Austin looks so miserable and out of it. So I'm watching it going, hang on. <laughs> I forgot, honestly. I'd forgotten. <laughs> You could, you, you could say, I had no idea. Uh, if I was trying to set up Austin in a sting operation, I would definitely put the hidden camera. You put it in the deer's eye, wouldn't you? I want to talk about this some more, right? The, oh, somebody, right? They went to Austin's house. I said, we'll shoot it there. We'll shoot it at this bit on the sofa there. So somebody lining that shot up would have seen the deer. And either they were too scared to ask to move it, or they thought, this is a bit of fun, we'll leave it in. <laughs> I just it's the best. Oh, it's amazing. It's oh, abs God. oh, this shot with the deer is amazing. And sixteen year old me took everything far too seriously. I couldn't stop laughing at this. It was too funny. Yeah. Anyway, Austin sounds like a guy with a big-ass neck brace would sound like, so he takes it off and shows us the huge scar he has, and he says, don't worry, I'll be back to drink beer and curse, and it's all very, like, exactly what he expected him to say. And if it hadn't been for the deer, we would have spent five seconds on this. So thank you very much, <laughs> Taxidermy. <laughs> 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Tori is with X-Pac backstage and you know she's turned evil because now dressed green and black <laughs> the colors of evil in wwf right now and as they're walking the ring wwf is on the cover of newsweek and the cover says uh wrestling wyatt number one in cable videos toys and books and wwf the bounders have covered the bit that says should your kids watch <laughs> That is so beautifully carny. So beautifully carny. I mean, they're saying, no, they shouldn't be watching. They should be buying. Buying everything that we put out. Uh, Anyway, funny that we're getting lethal lottery now with the radicals. uh, Considering that's what they were going to do with Benoit Jarrett at Sold Out 2000. Oh, yes, so it was. I don't think Julius Caesar had that many knives in him. <laughs> anyway, X-Pac with Evil Tory. Uh, apparently on Raw, Triple H made a match with X-Pac versus Kane, but Kane no-showed. And Lawless says something about checking bridges to make sure he hasn't jumped off one. Oh, Oof. Jeez. Only we can make fun of Kane being sad and miserable. Oh, that's, that is And tough. only John can get thrown off Twitter <laughs> for doing the Incredible Hulk ending song which must have been the thing he got a copyright strike for sorry about that pal <laughs> oh no it was it was something different that he got a copyright strike for they haven't marvel oh, haven't then. marvel haven't called him out on that yet but give it time and Malenko comes out and his music is proto radicals it's not the radicals theme it's it's a demo it's a work in progress probably because jim johnston was like what do you mean i gotta come up with a theme for four different guys i've got a week to do it sort of <laughs> Well, in kayfabe, he had an hour to do it. He had less than an hour to do it. Oh. It was like, because in kayfabe, like, so they, they, Triple H goes, I'll tell you what, you've all got matches tonight. And then Jim Johnson's there, just sort of, just, just sort of, just playing the guitar nonchalantly. Like, ding, 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 What? Four? Oh, God. Um, dun, dun, quick, get on the piano. Dun, 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 dun. There you go, that'll do. 
Mike, get in here and play that 12 times. That'll do. <laughs> They're like, what do you mean you haven't got music ready for the Radicals? It's like, well, the same reason I don't have a song ready for Hulk Hogan right now. They're not under contract. <laughs> Jim Johnson, a firm believer on kayfabe. Maybe he treats... Maybe Jim Johnson should treat wrestling theme tunes a bit like Obits. Um, in the sense that when a news a, a news company will have obits ready to go in the event that somebody influential or celebrity passes if they're getting up in years, this isn't this isn't like shock. This is just a thing that newsrooms have, and, and radio stations have, and TV stations have. So they'll have like a package ready to go in the event of like a celebrity dies if they're getting up there in years or if they're not well, just so they're not caught on the back foot and they can just go. Here's you know when Bruce Forsyth died. Uh, in the UK, like there was, there was these, there was so many beautifully well put together packages about the life and times of Brucey. It's almost like we've been waiting four years for him to go, uh, and they were ready to go, and then we go. Sounds really dark, but that's the case. With maybe Jim Johnson should just have wrestling music for everybody, <laughs> every wrestler possible, just ready to go. <laughs> no, no, I think he's such a believer in kayfabe. He was saying, "What do you mean you got to have a theme ready for tonight?" They're under contract. Why are they getting... Why are they allowed backstage? <laughs> Who are they? The scabs. <laughs> I don't watch the other... The corridor. I don't watch WCW. <laughs> I thought I wasn't allowed to watch WCW. <laughs> That's after my bedtime. He's looking annoyed going, has everybody else been watching WCW? I thought we weren't allowed to. Shocking this. I could have seen Jerry versus Benoit three times. <laughs> anyway... Makes sense starting off with Dean and X-Pac as crowd hates X-Pac enough to cheer anything Dean does and Dean was like something that makes stars. There we go. Beautiful, Matthew. A star um, in maker. In 98 and his work rate is a, a star I'm maker. I'm thinking that what makes stars? <laughs> Explosion. Okay. X-Pac and Malenko had a cracking match here. Absolutely. It's a shame that Michael Cole, just like last week, sucks at putting over Dean. He has no idea what to say about him. That's positive. So he just goes, he's a hard worker. He's a blue collar guy. Uh, he doesn't know how to put over good wrestling right now because that's not really what we've been doing in WF these past few years. So he's just like, he's a hammer He likes to wear jeans. Sometimes if it's sunny, he'll go outside without a top. He has nothing, <laughs> nothing to put over the ability. This is... It makes you appreciate how much uh, effort guys like Mike Tanay and Tony Schiavone were doing at the time because they at least knew the moves and matches in Japan and all the accomplishments. And I was just like, whoa, look at this guy with the receding hairline. He can do a leg lock. <laughs> anyway, Malenko lets X-Pac do his leg stuff for a bit but gets his fancy leg sweeps and dragon screws in. Uh, Brimbuster-ish gets two. That's not something he would keep around for much longer. This sets up the Texas Cloverleaf but X-Pac gets the ropes. What? This threw the biggest pop of the night until X-Pac was able to get out of it with ease. Tori distracts, so after a low blow on X-Factor, X-Pac wins after killing his finish in his first match in. Just saying. Yeah. What do you think, Tom? I, I didn't like the fact that the Cloverleaf was made to look so silly, um, to be honest. It was uh, it was a good match. I enjoyed it. Um but this is the thing, right? And we know we know what they're trying to do. We know where they're going with this. But surely, if you're gonna do it so I mean we'll 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 let the we'll let the cat out of the bag here. The plan is the the plan on the night was three matches, they'd lose one, they'd win one, then they'd lose one. 
surely to have them win the first one starts things off on the right foot. To have the first the first outing from a WCW entity and have them lose to a low blow seems a bit crap. I would disagree because then isn't it obvious the second match that they're... Oh, wait, no, that didn't happen. Oh, well, never mind. Yeah, completely ignore me. But I think we're overlooking the important things here, which is Di Malengo had a match. And the Texas Cloverleaf, his biggest hit was completely ruined. It's like having Heaven 17 play for you and having them not play Temptation. <laughs> That's a very good shout. But backstage, never mind all that wrestling malarkey, Mark Henry brings Mae Young some plants. And also explains the doctor says she could get hemorrhoids. No, hemorrhoids. He mispronounces this, so he has to correct him because that's a joke. And he says, don't worry, honey. I've already got them. So Henry gives her some preparation H. <laughs> that's the joke. Don't worry. If you love that, there's more to come. <laughs> WWF and comedy is, is, the, is the wonderful consistent between the Raw and Smackdown reviews. Because it's always crap. Beautifully said. Backstage, out of breath, X-Pac brags about how that was nothing. I'm not, I'm not even tired. He's just, he's just smashing my life. <laughs> that <laughs> I like. That's good. That puts over Dean. Yeah, X-Pac had to cheat to win. It was completely knackered. Had no answer for his leg screws and dragon whips and all that stuff. So, well done, X-Pac. Uh, Big Show and his new haircut arrives. And here we go, Tommy. You ready? Picture says, everyone sit down. I have the proof. And he goes, oh, yeah. The proof that Rock's foot touched the bed. Oh, you've had eyewitnesses. You've had photos. Come on, then. Let's see. And they play the tape. It's the angle from the camera right next to the ring. And DX, Triple H, and the entire world sees Rock's feet did actually touch the ground first. Amazing. And it's like, oh, what do you know? <laughs> All right, Freddie Mercury, it's you versus the Rocket. No way out. <laughs> Freddie, well done, Freddie, Freddie. Mercury. <laughs> Christ. So yeah, there you have it. The winner of the Royal Rumble 2000 should have been Big Show. It should have always been the Big Show. So this this was a retcon, wasn't it? I think again, I went and checked. Bruce Prichard still hasn't done one at one of these uh, big dives. What do they call them? into Royal Rumble 2000 and he has answered this but I remember someone saying that it happened but they weren't going to show it and, they, and someone had the bright idea of oh why don't we use this for No Way Out and he went oh what's a great idea it's what I believe but please don't take that as fact I can't wait for someone to try and get the proper answer down and it really is a best of times blurst of times situation as Havina won the Lumberjill Snowbody match on Raw Skies as a woman and he's taken on Jackie tonight in what was Probably a rib. He's wearing a no guns, no knives, just chairs WWF shirt that I thought really was a Steve Blackman shirt, but clearly not. So We need to there? say at this point, because we've not said it implicitly, um, that Hervina, who we are talking about, is long-time oh, yeah, WWF manager and general dog's body, Harvey Whippleman, who has been with the company probably since the... Late eighties, early nineties at this point. Oh, let me check. And it's it's very fortuitous <clears throat> that we uh that we are talking about Harvey Whippleman this week as his greatest rival died. 
just a few days ago. That's right. Um, everyone's been sharing their thoughts and opinions of the Fink, Howard Finkel. And if you um, want to see Howard Finkel in, uh, in 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 his underpants, I mean, who doesn't? Um, oh, there was an infamous tuxedo match that took place on an episode of Raw between Harvey Whippleman and The Fink. It is in its entirety on the WWF Network, as well as the tuxedo versus evening gown match The Fink had against Lillian Garcia. I'm really sad that The Fink's gone. Um, and I, I'll sort of reiterate what I put on Twitter, which is there will like he is the voice of wrestling. He is you, and and you forget this that. He has announced the biggest moments in wrestling history. He is the man that ushered in Hulkamania. He ushered in the Attitude Era. He ushered in like the the first title reigns of guys like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, and and, and he's always done it with with the with the utmost class, gravitas and energy and i've always been a fan of of the fink's work absolutely the voice of millions of fans childhoods mm. and here's his counterpoint here's his arch nemesis yes the a, a fink's goku is harvey <laughs> whippleman who started the company in 91 uh sid justice apparently his real friend brought him in and he just became this odd manager who managed so many bad bad wrestlers and gimmicks. Giant Gonzalez, Adam Bomb, Weldon, uh, Birth of Fate. He was the kiss of death for pretty much anybody he wrestled. So it was bizarre seeing Sid Justice, the man who's going to defeat Hulkamania, the man who's going to run the world, and his manager, Harvey Whippleman. <laughs> Always dressed at the nines as well. But with this right, particular and- run in 2000, this was a rib, wasn't it? I was going to say, like the Fink, he was kept around, I think, just so people could take the piss out of him <laughs> and sometimes make it on TV. Uh, you know, after managing Bertha Fame, proclaiming how attractive she was and all that, and the gimmick being, she's fat, that he would be on TV and had the you know, tuxedo match, everything else. And then, out of the blue, he won the women's title, dressed very unconvincingly as a woman. And they made it clear that Harvey comes out now and cuts an Andy Kaufman-style promo and about how he is tougher than any woman. He can take on anybody. So he's not doing it to pretending to be a woman. He just wanted to win a title, maybe. I don't think there's a lot of thought gone into this, so we just have to go by what we've got on screen. And I thought maybe this was a man-on-the-moon tie-in, given that that had come out the arse end of man, uh, last year and featured Jerry Lawler, Andy Kaufman, blah, blah, blah. However, it wasn't released on VHS until May 31st, so... This is just a match where Harvey gets untrousered, he gets beat up, and after a quick minute, Jackie is the new women's champion, ending the quickest title reign in women's championship history. And it has to be a rib because there's no thought gone into it because they at least could have come up with Harvey Whipplewoman. Mm. That seems obvious. Anyway, Actually, so I obvious, think... not even I thought of Harvey Whipplewoman. Thank you. I think maybe maybe so, they had it they had it written down on their docket of things to write for Raw this week, and then the radicals became available. <laughs> it's like oh oh we better fix that, and then Raw was about to start, and they went what about and Harvey went what about my stuff? Oh um you're winning the women's title, you're called Harvina. <laughs> All right, bye. It, it, this is a weird SmackDowns we'll get on. It feels like 
there was two teams writing two halves of it and they've had completely different ideas of what should be in the show. So from the Radicals debuting and showing off their skills to Harvey Whippleman's title cruelly ended. <laughs> anyway. Kelly... Ooh, is that a car coming in to pick up Tom? No, they've driven up. <laughs> Bye! Bye, Dad! Kevin Kelly backstage asks The Rock about what he thinks about the big show. Rock tells him to go get some shut-up juice. And maybe that was supposed to be the newer, slightly less edgy version of uh, shove something up your ass. But didn't really last that long, but I, I appreciated it. Anyway, Rock, la 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 everyone. Good old Rock, nothing to see here other than positive energy. Just insults the big show quite a bit. Yeah, it insults the big show. Nothing nothing has come close in this promo, though, to all right, Freddie Mercury. So, <laughs> we must have been short of time on this episode because we get the first of many... What can I describe as... Uh, what's that term for something that doesn't fit in, like, time-wise? Uh, something that doesn't fit in time-wise? Rushed? No. Uh, Shoehorned? I... No, no, an historical anomaly. Okay. Like you're watching a World War II film and someone busts out an iPhone. Right, okay. So That word. Continuity. We're not getting it or move on. <laughs> My point is, we get the first of many adverts right. to come up. And they feel like they're from at least two years ago when Attitude Era was really prevalent. And it's completely against this whole we're taming it down thing that we still insist they're doing, but nothing on TV says that they are. As a miscongeniality contest breaks out in violence and it ends with WWF, feel the difference, and all this other stuff. And it's like, what? what? I feel like we're back in I, that I, period where Vince McMahon uh, is writing the adverts. They all just seem very haphazard, half baked, half hearted, and half witted. When did this come out? I would have said maybe 97, 98, 99. In 2000, these stick out so badly. Like, like a jar of blue chew. Anyway, I'll. <laughs> And as if that wasn't bad enough, now we get, to completely ruin my point, Mark Henry is back with more gifts. I don't know why he's getting, he's having to go back to the car repeatedly rather than bring them all out once, but whatever. Mark I Henry reckon he's probably up. got a date in another restaurant, so he's going back and forth all night, like you do in, in films. Yeah, maybe that's it, maybe that's it. Films starring people like Harvey Feinstein. <laughs> um, Mark Henry brings up that, oh, honey... Pregnancy could create stretch marks. So he has cream for her. Get it? She's old. <laughs> she already has stretch marks. Anyway, Mark will be back. He's got to go with the car to get more gifts. You take your time, Mark. <sighs> no anyway. rush, mate. There's no reason for this comedy to be here. Yeah. And we go from that to Kurt Angle. And Kurt Angle officially lost to The Rock. In his hometown of Pittsburgh on Raw. So that's an official loss now for him. He runs down Detroit, which apparently is very easy. It's the Hull of USA by the looks of things. And uh, I was going to say, Tom, one of the things I like about being from this part of the world is that we always have, no matter where you're from, there's always somewhere else, a city, a town, an area, where you can take the piss out of it. Oh, absolutely. You're from the city, that's much better. So what's yours, Tom, given that you're not from Newcastle? <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> so... Basing it on places where I've lived over the years, um, Worcester um, would probably have a place called Droitwich Spa and vice versa. Um, maybe even Hereford. Nah, I think we get on all right with Hereford. Um, so maybe Worcester and Droitwich Spa 
would be there. Um, when I lived in Wolverhampton, the basically the, all the black country uh, got it in the neck from Wolverhampton, um, as well as uh, the rest of the West Midlands. So like Birmingham, mainly actually the biggest one, and it's a football-based rivalry. If you lived in Wolverhampton, you wanted nothing to do with anybody from West Bromwich because uh, you had the Wolves West Brom local ding dong derby and uh, they never got on uh, in when I lived in Shrewsbury you had Telford there was a an anti-Telford sentiment and back the other way as well uh, when I lived in Gloucester briefly there was Cheltenham and every everybody in Gloucester thought Cheltenham were posh everybody in Cheltenham thought Gloucester were rough um, there's, so, and those are a few of the places where I've lived, where I've had that. And so coming up here, <clears throat> obviously you've got, um, Newcastle and Sunderland. That's the obvious mm-hmm. one, but together we'll band together against anything based out of Teesside and That's together right. we'll all click together to band against anything against Yorkshire and we'll band together as the North against the South. But thankfully being from the West Midlands, I can drift between the two a bit like somebody crossing the barricades in Les Mis. That's right, you go from East Germany to West Germany, the greatest of these, Tom. Exactly. And because the reason why I was doing this, seeing what people had to say about different parts of England, I found a website called ilivehere.co.uk where people submit votes for the worst places to live in England with quotes. And oh. I thought I'd give a selection of these before I got this amazing match because I love this website. Uh, Peterborough should have been destroyed during World War II, but even Hitler didn't think it was worth bothering with. <laughs> Ferry Hill, the town's female population, are permanently pregnant. <laughs> Just a headline here. Nothing in the world can prepare you for Halifax. <laughs> Halifax is an interesting one. Right. And a local one I like. Stanley Crook, a place where no one lives and no one has heard of. <laughs> That's a local one for me that I appreciate because I don't know where it is. And finally, Huddersfield, entropy in action. <laughs> Oh, I got a soft spot for Huddersfield because that's near where my good lady's from. But I can't, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so if you're not familiar or don't like Detroit, like Kurt Angle, just substitute your own favourite place that you don't like. Mine's Shildon because they're all inbred. Taz comes down and they start brawling to tease the, to metaphorically tease the prostate until the Rock shows up for this three-way. <laughs> John, no, 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 don't, no, don't. no, no. You'll Jesus. definitely get banned off Twitter. <laughs> but I'll love you. So why? Anyway, why are we having Kurt Angle versus The Rock versus Taz? Oh, of course, yes, that would help, wouldn't it? Taz officially slash unofficially, more on that later, beat Kurt Angle at Royal Rumble 2000. Now The Rock has properly beaten officially, officially Angle on Raw. So as a three-way, basically. So possibly Angle can get his, his win back and Taz could show what he's made of and all that. So it makes sense and I'm happy to see such a star stood three-way and hopefully Taz can look cool now that the Radicals have showed up. Well, this is spoiler, it. Like... Spoiler for two months' time, he won't. <laughs> but for in this moment in time, to watch the Taz, to watch the Taz, to watch Taz, Taz on offense against The Rock is really cool. Like that's a real oh, yeah. endorsement for Taz in this match. Absolutely. And the teasing of The Rock showing up works wonders. The crowd goes nuts for The Rock coming out, but woof, 
In this match, Taz is definitely the free salad in the takeaway. That is Angle versus Rock. <laughs> and there's no mention, in some contradiction here, of Taz having the proper win over Angle. So apparently it was an illegal choke, which I didn't remember or realize being retcon like this. So as far as I'm concerned, I didn't watch this week's episode and Taz beat Kurt Angle. Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, like it's it's the Taz mission and it'll, it'll use it as a finisher going forward. So if there's a, if it's problematic, why is he continue to use it? Right, it's weird that they've gone, they've seen Taz, and I think we said the last time we we're doing the Rumble 2000 show, and Taz has said this in interviews that apparently the moment he didn't quite get that German suplex down the, the timing, and Angle jumped up for a bit, then he did it. That apparently was the moment they went, oh, oof, that that that's that's Taz, that that's that guy while that hype. Yeah, I think we'll. Uh, We'll not go with that. So oh, we'll change our plans here and have it been a legal choke. And Taz would obviously be around uh, for years as a commentator. I think by the by SummerSlam 2000, he's he's commentating or having that feud with Jim Ross over commentary. But no, so he'd by right SummerSlam 2000, well. I think by the end of the year he's on commentary. But SummerSlam 2000, he's not on commentary, but he is feuding with Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. Oh, is that it? Well, we have that to look forward to. Yes, we do. Until then. They brought outside and Taz sneaks up behind the rock as if this was ECW. Uh, sorry, I've missed the out. He sneaks up behind the rock and if this was ECW, he German Tazplex on the concrete and split his neck in two. But in reality, he simply clobbers him as anybody could do. And they brought in the crowd for a bit. Taz gets a Northern Lights Tazplex very close to in the ring. And Taz gets the choke on angle before nailing that I close the you so hard I flew across the ring move. That was really fond of doing a No Mercy. And Taz is still doing some of the moves he's known for, but the cockiness and confidence just isn't there. Yeah, and there's a lack of swagger, seen, which is the shame. Right, right. The swagger and attitude he have in ECW was what made him, along with killing people with suplexes. And if he can't do one thing, he's not doing the other. And Anyway, we still get a hot ending sequence here. That sees Kurt Angle get spine busted, and then Taz tries to clothesline the rock. He converts it into a rock bottom, then again on Angle for one, two. <gasps> Here's Big Show to pull out the rock. Angle gently gets his hand over Taz as that's happening outside to get the quote unquote win. And while that's happening, Big Show chokeslams the rock on the floor outside as Big Show mouths off, and you see Taz walk away timidly. Like, hey, can I squeeze past here? Sorry, sorry, Big Show. Sorry, I just need to get the back. Thanks. Gutted. Yeah. Gutted. Hey, fun match. To see these three going at it was cool. And I had a little, um, one of those WF cards I was talking about last week. That very The Raw deal, I think, of, of this match. And it was cool to actually see it. Like, oh, funny, let's see what happens. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's weird seeing it now going, yeah, that we've literally seen the end of Taz's push. In one match, yeah. the, the the streak is over. <laughs> the streak is over for Taz. Yeah. <clears throat> Reality sucks. But you know what doesn't suck? The New Age Outlaws versus Perry Sutton and Eddie Guerrero in an, an infamous match. Oh, this so, is a very infamous encounter now. Certainly is. We start off giant multi-person ass men signs in the crowd. So distinctive that Billy pauses the point at them. New Age Outlaws do their spiel with no irony or attempt at being bad guys, which means that there's zero ass pop for Eddie or Saturn. So one of these little things here where New Age Outlaws are still technically bad guys, but nobody's booing them. Anyway, Billy Gunn press slams both men, 
both Eddie and Slatten because they're such bad good guys. Well, good bad guys, take your pick. But Perry Slatten tags in and suplexes both men to buggery, I've typed here. So it must be a lot of suplexes in this match. Road Dog tries a crossbody off the second rope, which Saturn turns into rings of Saturn with the head rolling as the crowd pops. But Billy Gunn breaks it up and jackhammers Eddie. Billy Gunn with the Famouser, but Perry Saturn stops it so Eddie can hit the frog splash. And I go to Eddie's Wikipedia here just to get this all right. During the first match with the WF, a tag team match with Saturn against the Outlaws, Guerrero performed the frog splash off the top rope and dislocated his elbow when he landed the move. This is devastating. Yeah. As a result, he was sidelined for several weeks. Guerrero and Saturn had originally been booked to defeat the New Age Outlaws, but due to this injury, Guerrero panicked and told Road Dog, who was in the tag team match with Billy Gunn, to immediately pin him, which he did. And good on Road Dog for improvising, and you can suddenly see Eddie's poor elbow sticking out quite badly from the network. At least it wasn't a compound fracture. And as everyone goes, oh, well, they've won 2 0. By Radicals. Uh, before going to that, Tom, what was your thoughts on this? Uh, I, I enjoyed the match. <clears throat> I I feel like that Perry and Eddie got a lot in on Road Dog and Billy Gunn. I thought they looked great in there. The the finish really sucked for Eddie. Um, the story was, and this comes from Dave in The Observer, the story was that going into this match, it was going to be Road Dog versus Perry Saturn one-on-one. But the decision was made sort of late in the day to make this a tag team match. And as and as a result, we saw what happened. Uh, the reason it wasn't going to be for a while was because Eddie Guerrero was still recovering from an, el- from an elbow injury. And was he was technically cleared to wrestle, but he probably shouldn't have been wrestling immediately. Like, he should have been wrestling it longer. But for whatever reason, he wound up being in this tag team match, ended up doing exactly what we saw. And just it knocks him back by a month or so, which is gutting for Eddie Guerrero and and for the Radicals in general, because this was the moment that really sort of stubbed the flame out with this debut. It had they had the things gone to plan and they won their match. I think there would have been more more heat and more anticipation for the main event. But they they did try and retcon this, which which I'm sure Matthew you're going to get to in a second. They did try and retcon this. But the the finish sucked, and I felt bad for them. And it's a shame that Eddie kind of went just pin me because obviously Eddie knew he was bad. Eddie knew he couldn't do any more. If only if only they just gone just let me pin you, <laughs> and we'll end this here. It'd have been fine, but it was Eddie calling it in the ring, Road Dog reacting to it quickly, and you could see the concern in Billy Gunn and Road Dog as they're walking back. Like they're just they're not celebrating the win. They're sort of chatting amongst each other, mm. which I thought was very very telling. They weren't jumping up and down, going, "Yeah, we beat them, we beat them, we beat them." They were very concerned, very uh, and very and probably nervous about what they were going to be greeted to when they got backstage because the big plan of the night was New Age Outlaws to lose to Saturn and Guerrero, and that just didn't happen. And it sort of puts everything else into a, a weird tailspin from here. It would take Eddie Guerrero fifteen minutes to get out of the ring after this so i mean obviously smackdown's taped so you don't notice that but the live audience uh there was a lot of concern for eddie and lots of cheers as he left uh, as it took him so long to, to get up and get out of the ring because his shot his, his elbow was that bad that's right and it's also odd that eddie hits his finish and then loses obviously it's weird that they had not only perry Saturn's finisher being broken up but then also the frog splash 
as well. They are no selling all the finishes like, oh, I don't know, The Rock taking on Val Venus or something. Mm. They've done that to death. And from one disaster to another, as Michael Cole mentions, the announcement of the XFL. Oh, you love to see it. Nothing uh, big here, just the announcement, the logo. And I do know the one little tidbit. As soon as it was announced that they were doing a football league, the stock tumbled for WWF. So I went, for a bit. And they were like, no, 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 it's all right. It's all right. It's going to be a big success, honest. Anyway, <laughs> follow this up with another crappy WF.com advert, which the word I was looking for was anachoristic. Wow, that's a great word. That was worth the wait. It is. It's, it's a shame I had to Google it. So those people that are listening to the podcast that have already gone and tweeted me what the word is, thank you very much. But you probably feel a bit foolish now. So make like John and delete your tweet. And yes, a, a man shoves a blind man into a bus. And that's it. Because attitude. Again, I... It, I it was, this felt like an old WWF style promo. Maybe to fill the gap. Maybe they showed these on the live broadcast while Eddie was being picked up. <laughs> anyway, a quickly filmed sequence is Triple H backstage saying, you know what? We're 2-0 up. I'm feeling magnanimous. I'm going to give Benoit a match anyway. I forgot me. What else is he going to say? Sod it. I'm not wrestling. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. And also backstage, Al Snow says, Steve Blackman promised that if they didn't beat the New Age Outlaws on Raw, he'd do the thing. Blackman says, I'm not doing it. Go on. No. Oh, I guess you're not a man then if you're not going to go back. All right, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> and Blackman shows up begrudgingly wearing head cheese. Yay! We have the best short form tag team in history now. <laughs> and there's even a head cheese sign in the crowd as they come out to wrestle the Hollies. And I'm actually brought to you by phonefree.com. <laughs> WrestleMania 2000, the game, make your own joke. And milk. <laughs> anyway. So, this is also worth noting the appearance of Al Snow's weird blue wrestling singlet with a black crack on the front and a snowman cometh text <clears> on the back. <throat> I like a lot this of ideas gear. going here. I thought this was good. He looks gear, like a, a roller coaster <laughs> at the fairground. <laughs> anyway, head cheese chance take over as they annihilate <clears throat> the half ironic half not because Steve Blackman is visibly upset by these chants Lola starts ragging on Blackman that he needed a gimmick because he's got no expressions and that is a bit close to the colour there mate just saying it's Oof. it's not wrong <laughs> I mean yeah. Lola's been wrong with quite a few calls lately but he's not wrong with that one <laughs> I was gonna say, it's not catchphrase mate don't say what you see <laughs> Mockingly loud head cheese chance distracts Al, who gets a horrible looking head scissors in the corner from Crash Holly. Al Snow getting a rep for blowing more spots than a horny leopard. <laughs> for God's sake! Did oh, you come up with that yourself? I did, that's why it was terrible. Hardcore <laughs> <laughs> oh, tags in to destroy everyone until Crash tries to help Hardcore with a crossbody but ends up turning it into a pin on Hardcore. Head cheese win! Hardcore Holly beats up Crash after the match, but Viscera is too upset to help. <laughs> He's just too heartbroken. That's it, he couldn't stand winning, so he had to go back to his cousin. What a bizarre storyline that was. And 
the WrestleMania 2000 Slam of the Week, because there's no escape from Mafu's mum, brings us... <laughs> brings us Bubba's Powerbomb on Jeff Hardy through Matt Hardy and two tables. But don't let that distract you from more Mark Henry segments as Mark Henry brings his lover a breast pump. And that's the joke. But luckily, Lawler runs in with his Milton Bill joke book and says, God... They only get powdered milk out of them. So this is the thing. This is the thing that WWF miss <clears throat> with with comedy skits, is that when you do multiple comedy skits like this, they're meant to build to like a crescendo or a big a big one off gag. These don't go anywhere. You could play these skits, these Mark Henry May Young gift skits, in any order. And they would still, and it wouldn't change how crap they are. Yeah. Joke one, she's old. Joke two, she's old. Joke three, she's old. <laughs> exactly. Doesn't do anything. Doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Speaking of things that don't go anywhere, Rikishi, because he's big uh, and too cool, head to the ring. And this match is happening because Big Show interfered in his match with The Rock on Raw. And he sends, no, not beg your pardon, two weeks ago when they had that singles match with the completely blown rock bottom. Oh, what a move that was. Oh, we'll never forget. Rikishi sends Too Cool to the back as he wants Big Show all for himself. And in a weird moment, Michael Cole says Eddie has been taken to a local medical facility and names the hospital. Ooh. Well, I guess because it's taped, he's not there anymore, so it's fine. Oh, yeah, good point. Because <laughs> oh, yeah, they'll that. go. If you turn up and go, oh, I want to get Eddie Guerrero's autograph, then you're an idiot because he checked out ages ago. Yeah, so they have to go back and miss Star Trek Voyager. Anyway, Big Show's short haircut does not go well with his awful mustache, which looks <laughs> it, like this is know, such a weird look for the Big Show. Oh, paper thin mustache! Like it's the first mustache he's ever tried to grow, and also he's twelve. <laughs> Anyway, Rikishi unleashes his full offense on Show. Show kicks out and gives him a choke slam after dodging a super kick. He hurts his back doing it though, so Kishi becomes the first guy, according to commentary, to kick out of the Showstopper choke slam. No, he's not. Oh, objection! Go on. X Pac. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, Summer Slam two thousand. Summer Slam nineteen ninety nine. Big Show did the choke slam on X Pac. Put one foot on him, and Xbox kicked out, and the place went wild. And Undertaker, who was Big Show's tag team partner, was foaming. So he hit him with a tombstone, then pinned him. He was so foaming, he left the company a month later. <laughs> he was so angry with Big Show. So it's only the second time someone's kicked out of the uh, mm-hmm. showstopper. Good point, good point. Big Show tries something complicated with a chair. It doesn't work, so he just twats Rikishi with it instead to get DQ'd. And then two cool play the parts of the toy soldier box that you get as a kid and get some more choke slams. Until the rock gets his revenge from earlier that night by twatting show of a chair and delivering the rock bottom. Show takes it a lot better than Rikishi. He really t- he goes the- he goes in the right direction, which I think is important. <laughs> and that's the end of that bit. Michael Cole telling everyone where Eddie is in case you want to wait around and bother him. <laughs> and we get Eddie. A- Dudley's highlight reel, as this show has become stuffed with things that are over. The Dudley's powerbomb Terry Runnels, Mae Young, uh, the Hardys, 
Sorry, not Mei Young yet, beg your pardon, but all these people get power bombed. Mei Young isn't in this bit, but she's in the next bit. Mei Young says she feels something kicking. Oh, is she going into labor? No, it's just wind. <laughs> oh, la 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 la. La 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 la. And Lola again ready to save this. God, that must have smelled like King Tut's tomb. <laughs> again, you could put these in any order. It doesn't make a difference. Yeah. And then a brutally weird advert. As this that bizarre show this. With babies dressed as WWF superstars. I don't know why this is awful advert mania. Maybe Eddie Guerrero like was supposed to do a lot more on the show and they have to like, oh well, let's show some old adverts. Let's get all those adverts that Vince made that were crap. We'll just get all those out of the woodwork. Yeah. And because we're running late, here's the Milk Slam of the Week, brought to you by Milk. And it's Xbox beating Malenko from earlier that night. Tom, if anything else had gone wrong in the show, we would have had a Tom and Jerry episode to talk about. <laughs> I, I, did you enjoy the uh, the quote for the milk slam of the week? The milk slam of the week! The, what was the, the got quote milk, for milk? Got milk, gulp it down, was the slogan used to advertise milk. Got milk, gulp it down. Milk, it's for your feet. <laughs> milk for your feet. Anyway, we come to Speaking the Speaking of milk, vanilla midget. <laughs> oh, they're white, that's right. Milk is vanilla. Also, Triple H, who drinks milk and spits it out? That's how he gets his bones all strong. Yes, that, that that's how he becomes big and strong. Milk and nothing else. <laughs> this is Benoit's first televised match for WWF. He had tryout matches in 95. The likes of Owen Hart, that remain as likely to be released as the butthole cut of Cats, the film. <laughs> Which will be released first, you think? Oh. I think Cats. Oh, hopefully Cats. Anyway, I have nothing to do with that. Hopefully, that was joke. hopefully let me get to see some, some CGI, the CGI bumhole of a cat Taylor Swift. There's a the internet's weird. Somebody will have it. Somebody will Maybe have it. Maybe they'll combine the two and they'll start seeing Chris Benoit for Zoe and Hart. La la la. <laughs> That's terrible. Anyway, Triple H versus Chris Benoit. Or as the Four network says, oh, Triple H in a singles match. <laughs> Triple H in a singles match here. And this would mean a lot more four years down the line. But right now, Benoit, not much of a talker, not much of a looker, still got the mullet. Dresses like he's going to be in a music video, as Tom said. But Triple H, it's the year 2000. Guy does a good job, made him look hardcore. Mick Foley's talk for them, already 2 0. The crowd's pretty quiet. So Triple H allows Benoit just to smack him up, daft. And Benoit really lights up the crowd and he gets the triple German suplexes and then calls for Air Canada. The Triple H bumps the ref into the turnbuckle and Triple H can't bring it into a superplex. But Benoit manages to. Count of the pedigree that follows up into a slingshot. The referee is out, so Triple H taps out to the crossface. Hint, hint. Mm -hmm. Nice to see one guy's submission like I killed him one night. And then Benoit tries to wake up the referee and hits it again on Triple H, but he's too close to the referee, the referee, the ropes even, and managed to get out of it. So Benoit takes him down again and nails the diving head, but properly this time. 
One, two, three. No, the closest of calls. And the crowd are really into this match now. Triple H immediately recovers, however, to low blow and pedigree to get the win. And Triple H pulling a Rikishi. I think that'll be the term we use now to make Benoit look as credible as possible here. 3 0 FUWCW. But it is nice, though, even the result, that this was the very gradual start of wrestling getting more and more focused on. Obviously, to help out these guys, some with better successes than the others. So the best thing about them is they could put on really good wrestling matches. So it's nice that we got this out of the way, and it was easily the highlight of the night. And uh, that's it. There's no Foley Brawl. There's no The Rock or anything coming up. It's just Triple H and DX going, yeah, we won, suck it. So what were your thoughts on the match? Uh, I loved it. I thought it was a solid match. This was a really exciting time because it was, and you could then the crowd were into it as well. And I thought I, I was really impressed with how they got into it, knowing what we know about how this was meant to be much more high stakes than it was. Is the, you know what we what we were meant to see was Chris Benoit fighting for his mate, but what we got instead was sort of Triple H being a bit of a dick and magnanimously giving Benoit a match. But that was just how the night played out anyway. But I thought it was great. I think it was a showcase of what could come. I remember at the time <clears throat> saying, oh, is it funny how Chris Benoit just happened to have his, all the guys happened to have their ring gear with them. And I always remember thinking that was a bit weird. Like, oh, they've all got their ring clothes. But then it took me working for wrestling companies to go, oh, no, whenever a wrestler goes anywhere, they take their gear with them. Whenever a wrestler goes to watch a wrestling show, they take their gear with them. That's just the done thing. So now that element of it doesn't does doesn't suspect continues my disbelief suspended rather than destroying it. Yeah, good point, Tom. Good point. And that was the episode. A weird, weird episode that it's uh, what it signified been a lot more than what was on screen because the radicals coming over was a huge deal. And I'm sorry if we crapped over and overanalyzed everything here because, like I said. An unconditional release means there wasn't much hype or builder can do here, and they do what they can to insert it into the existing storylines. However, tragedy unfolded in the second match. Nearly everyone's finishes got uh, crapped on, and the rest of the show was such a bizarre mess of awful comedy, terrible adverts, milk, and yeah, other than the radicals and Harvina Whipple woman, uh, what was the other highlight of the show? Um, Kevin Kelly getting told to drink shut up juice so having said that we always end these episodes on a positive note what was something you remembered from this Tom? Right I remembered how cool it was away from like the snarky nature of what we talked about I remember the um, the radicals turning up I remember thinking it was the coolest thing ever seeing these WCW guys all set up it was great it was so cool what do you remember? I mean absolutely just the Oh, by the way, uh, the Radicals here. What? Yeah, oh, they showed up. Yeah, yeah, they work for us now. <laughs> what? what? Like, it, last time we saw Perry Sidney, he was jumping off the entrance ramp. <laughs> and WCW, not the entrance ramp, the, um, they had a weird setup one time where they had a big set for Nitro. He just jumped off, did an uh, elbow drop through a table. It was a rid ridiculous, crazy high spot. And then he's on Raw and SmackDown. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, uh, that can't be understated. What a crazy moment that was. What did you forget from this show? Everything bloody else. <laughs> um, I forgot how bad they looked. Mm. I forgot that they make fully talked for them. I forgot that 
they lost all their matches. I forgot. Uh, I forgot that Eddie lost the match he was supposed to win. I forgot everything else. That's what I'm saying. The positive thing is it happened. And obviously we get better on later on. But it's the first of many times we realised that these guys, including Jericho, would need to be tore down before they could be rebuilt. So what did you forget, Tom? The deer. <laughs> the deer. <laughs> Steve Austin's best friend, possibly life partner, possibly PR manager. The deer. And nothing That's else. That's it, isn't it? That's yeah. it. <laughs> well, what better way to end <laughs> a, a dramatic episode of the Goldhook Smackdown review? I've been Matthew. You can find me on Twitter, talking crap. And uh, that's pretty much been it. And beating Doom Eternal. Where can we find you, Tom? What do you have for us? I am at Tom Campbell on Twitter. Come say hi. I'll give you a kiss. <laughs> He's at Matthew Gregg on Twitter. I'm at Tom Campbell on Twitter. Together, we are at Cultaholic on Twitter. We'll see you next time. Bring your own dears. <gasps> Love you. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 